Are you going to bring the mustache back? I mean, for real. I mean, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't no, be no, ashamed no. of that mustache. He, yes, he should. No, the mustache is never coming back. Those days are gone, I, my I was friend. embarrassed to ride with him. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Every brand, they find their own path. Some will talk about how they source grains right there from their own farm. Some will rely on a historical figure from decades ago, but for Rabbit Hole, they're positioning themselves as a modern brand. And Kaveh Zamanian, he makes his return to the show to talk about how the brand has changed in the past few years since we had him on last. We discuss their brand and how the liquid has evolved, how they're reaching into new demographics that have been left untapped, and his take on a new series of high-end innovations and collaborations, plus a favorite pastime of ours talking about dusty hunting. With that, enjoy this week's episode. Now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is above the char. This week's idea comes from Patreon member Jesse Boggs, who writes me on fredminnick.com. What's it like being Fred Minnick? Well, Jesse, since I've never been another human, uh, at least that I know of, I guess it's just like being me. But so I guess I'll, I'll answer it from um, a little bit of like how I got where I am. I basically, when I came home from Iraq, I was I was in therapy, close to being homeless, and close to you know even worse, going to jail or being dead. And I was really trying to get myself in a better situation, and I focused on my health, my mental health. And uh, one of the processes that I learned was uh, mindfulness uh, and aromatherapy, and I would use those as I was a budding kind of freelance writer, covering wine and covering spirits. And I learned through taste mindfulness, I basically learned how to taste um, spirits. And I would train with the master sommeliers and master distillers. But, you know, that's just that's just the early part. I would send countless pitches to people to write about bourbon and I would get rejected. My book, Whiskey Women, had, I think we had 800 to 1,000 rejections on the book, Whiskey Women, and only one publisher said yes to it. My books, uh, Bourbon and Bourbon Curious, you know, they had their fair share of negative reviews. Uh, and so I think I guess I'm kind of painting a picture here of like all the things that I get to do. I look at like the challenges th that I overcome to get there. And I always, I always think about the editors who rejected me. And I think about my high school English, English teacher who told me I should become a welder instead of a writer. And so those are the things that I, I think about. So that's what motivates me. What motivates me is that kind of like sportsman mentality of like someone said you couldn't do it. That's what motivates me. And everything that I have built, uh, everything that I do is in large part because of people saying I couldn't do it. And the aspect of where I am now, which I'm not really writing as much as I used to. Obviously, I'm not writing as much as I used to. I do more podcasting and YouTubing. But where I'm at now, I'm at a different stage in my career, and I'm I'm about education. I'm about uh, teaching people. I'm in the middle of uh, shooting a uh, TV pilot. I get booked all over the country for for private events to do 
do tasting. Sometimes it's with a celebrity at a private event. Sometimes it's by myself. But in all instances, I get to teach people how to taste and teach them about bourbon. And I feel like I'm giving someone a light bulb moment of this beautiful industry that we have. Yeah, sure. I get I get sent samples like the Heaven Hill 17-year-old and uh, I'll get the Buffalo Trace Antique collection of samples. But you know what? I'll taste those and they don't I don't get excited about that stuff. I, I get excited about the people, even the people who hate me. I, I love I love being in a room with someone who, and there's plenty of people who hate me because I've said one thing about a bourbon and they couldn't find it, or or whatever. You know, by the way, distillers who hate me. There's there's that too, but I, I love I love educating people. I love teaching people, and and I think that's. That's the where I get the greatest joy, and every everything else is just to me is is just filler. But the moment I'm in a room with someone and I get to teach, and you know I see the light bulb moment, that's that's the greatest moment for me. So that's what it's like to be me. You're motivated by everyone who said no, and you just keep on going. You know, and I'm thankful that I have Kenny and Ryan as uh, as partners on Bourbon Pursuit. Because they've been incredibly supportive, uh, we've been great friends, and and so I guess that's um, kind of a short answer to really what could be a long one. But thanks for that question, Jesse. Uh, if you'd like to be like Jesse Boggs, hit me up on uh, what you would like to know in the next above the char. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new. Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits 
and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny, Ryan, and Fred here today. How's it going, fellas? What up? Hey, hey, hey we're all three here. Of us here. I know, I know. It's rare. And we get to have a very special guest on today. Somebody's coming back to the show. He was back on episode 194, but they've been coming out with a lot of big hitters lately. They had the Founders Collection. They've had a lot of strong competitors that have been in some of my favorite bourbons. I mean, heck, some of the Mizanara finishes have been amazing. And I can't wait to kind of dive into more of this and kind of talk about the growth that they've experienced since they had just only released like their three or four core expressions when we had them back on the show back in March of 2019. Last time we were at, down at the distillery, we got to graciously, you know, see the whole facility and hang out with Cave. And he was one of my favorite guests because he's one of those guys that like, just said, F it. I'm putting everything on the line. I'm taking on, you know, the traditional Kentucky guys. He was a true entrepreneur and I could just, I loved hearing his story. I could see his heart, his passion for the industry, even though he was a quote unquote outsider. And then, you know, maybe a psychologist or whatever. I may have to hit you up after. You know, <laughs> we therapy. all need some mental health <laughs> yeah. right now. But uh, no, one of my favorite guests and I'm glad to get to talk to him again because so much has changed since we were talking about March, 2019. So a lot of there's new owners, there's new everything, you know, so I'm excited to hear all about it. And I've hung out with Cave from Rabbit Hole many, many times and smoked many cigars and closed a few bars down with him um, <laughs> and had some vintage whiskey. And he reminds me of like a, uh, a cornerback in the NFL. Corners are the kind of like, uh, it's the hardest position, in my opinion, to play in the NFL. And the way he manages his company, it reminds me of like a Deion Sanders who is like, who may get burned he's like one stepping. time <laughs> but then the rest of the time he's getting interceptions and like you know it's been hit after hit for rabbit hole uh my favorite the thing that they put out in the last few years has been their rye from a couple of years ago that rye was so good but i'm we i just got a little sample of something that might be uh might be beating that in the in the rabbit hole uh pyramid of greatness i guess yeah it smells great how you doing kave i'm doing great guys and thanks for having me here and thanks for the kind words it's uh it's so nice to uh be with you again after the pandemic and hang out and sip a little bourbon we yeah. can do that we can do that so you just heard him he hears his voice that's kave zamanian he was back on episode 194 do you still go by founder and whiskey maker at rabbit hole is that your is that your title nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think you know that's the that's the everyday title. Um, basically, my formal title is uh, with my Pernod partners, CEO of Rabbit Hole. But uh, but you know, I taste the bourbon every week. I'm part of every sensory panel when it comes to uh, selection of what goes into the bottle. So I take the whiskey maker title more seriously. Yeah, I like that too. We all, we, I think we can all appreciate that. So the other thing that we had kind of talked about in the first episode, where we interviewed you. You kind of you also have a PhD in psychology and you're a certified psychoanalyst, correct? Correct. Correct. So why don't you go by Dr. K? <laughs> Actually you should have been Dr. Z, but uh but you know it's uh it's it's a great question. Sometimes people have called me by my title and I'm like, listen, uh those days are long gone. I'm a humble whiskey maker now and uh just like to be going by Cave. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more rational, right? Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, I was about to say I was like, you earned it though. I mean, in order getting a PhD, like that takes a long time to be able to do something like that. So usually I, I mean, there's a lot of dentists out there. They like to be called doctors, right? Oh, good yeah. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now I mean, 
The hangover had a whole thing about that, and it's, it was so accurate. Yeah, no, never tell a dentist they're not a doctor. <laughs> if you're a dentist listening, we love you. Uh, I'm just kidding. I got to gotta razz them out there a little bit. So kind of give us a little bit of your, your background as well, because anybody that hasn't listened to 194, just kind of give them your, your little elevator pitch on and, and how you really went down the rabbit hole, per se. Yeah, you know, I cut my teeth in the hospitality business, putting myself through school and fell in love with spirits. Met my wife, who's from Kentucky, uh, now about almost 20 years ago, and we started coming down to Louisville uh, in the early 2000s. And really, at that point, kind of my eyes opened up about what real Kentucky bourbon is. And eventually, we moved down here, and I got the bug to uh, get in the bourbon business. That was really the beginning of it. And I think, for me, the main motivation was how do I contribute to the great lineup of bourbons that are out there and do something that's genuinely innovative. So our kind of proposition was to make one-of-a-kind whiskey expressions, and uh, uh, we add to the list of these amazing brands that have been coming out of the Commonwealth for the last 150 years. So 2012 was when you started, and then 2018 was when you opened the distillery, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And then what was it? 2019 is when Pernod came in. Yeah, so middle of, it was July of 2019 that we forged a partnership with Pernell. So now we're coming on close to three years, basically, with these guys. And when we look at Pernod Ricard, you know, this is a company that had um, had wild turkey and sold it. They were also owners at one time of the Seagram's plant, now known as uh, MGP, in, in Indiana. And so they kind of... If they, they only hung on for like 10 more years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything happens for a reason. They put their efforts into Irish whiskey, and I dare say that was definitely a good move because Jameson is is hot, red breast, is, it wins almost every spirits competition and enters for, red, red for, uh, for whiskey. And so they... They put a lot of focus on Irish whiskey, and I, I think they they lifted the category immensely. And they've been trying to get back into the American whiskey game for a long time. And so you saw you saw they uh, acquired Smooth Ambler, uh, a partnership with Cave, and so it is. They have been very strategic about who they selected, and when they when they worked with you, I'm thinking they wa- they looked at that distillery. And they see opportunity for expansion. It's it's beautiful. I mean, I, I look at I look at Rabbit Hole as one of the most beautiful architectural designs ever. And by the way, folks, it was I, one of the first modern ones. Too. It, it, yeah. it was very modern. I stayed the night there to do a live stream. <laughs> I remember that of twenty four hours of yeah, fermentation. Was, I remember that. And the fermenters and I are very close. <laughs> Yeah, uh, special bond. And and like it is the it is the first distillery that was truly created with with the modern eye, in my opinion. Like there's not a place in there that cannot be turned into an Instagram moment uh, for people who walk through. <laughs> is that and, the original intent, Cave? We want everything to be healthy like, worthy. Well, listen, I, I, I like things pretty. I don't know what to tell you about that. But you know, the other piece of it was how do you create a space, a distillery where basically the guests are in the soup. They can have a full sensory experience of the process. And that was the intent. So you got hospitality and manufacturing coming together in one space. And it is a marvel because, you know, we now produce 27,000 barrels a year out of that facility. Wow. So think about it. 
given our footprint, I think per square feet, we actually pump out more liquid than any other distillery in the U.S. And it's a very efficient, tightly run operation. And I'm really proud of both the facility and the team. That's just absolutely incredible. And it's in a great area like Nulu's, one of the well, that that might be a bad thing for you all. It's one of the biggest, fastest growing parts of, you know, downtown Louisville where everybody's coming. And I, is that a challenge, you know, with the growth of Nulu? It is a challenge and I can uh, share with you guys a little bit more in terms of our plans, but uh, we actually take a lot of pride in that because we feel that, I certainly feel that Rabbit Hole became a second anchor after the Green Building, which was the first one. Rabbit Hole was the mm-hmm. second real yep. significant development in that neighborhood that um, has really elevated the neighborhood. So yeah, uh, we're proud of that. I'd agree with that. And to paint a picture, I mean, uh, 10, 15 years ago, this is where a large portion of the homeless population lived. And this was also where, you know, there was just no focus on this part of the city on either Main Street or Market Street from that side. And now it's hot. Now it's hot. Mm. Gil, you know, developed it and it has been, it hit. And, you know, they tried to do the same thing in Portland. It didn't, it didn't work there. Portland, Louisville. And, And so, and I would agree with you that Rabbit Hole was really, I think it was really the first anchor. I mean, the green building was was nice from a story perspective, but every this city is driven by bourbon and the food scene. And if you don't have a an, a, a strong restaurant in an area, uh, which they had one for a little bit called Moz, and then that closed. But if you don't have a strong restaurant yeah, in the area. I forgot about Moz. No, no. And if you don't have a strong distillery, then you don't have a you don't have an area. And so I think you all built them. One of the things that fascinates me is it's an urban distillery that kind of operates like a traditional distillery, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it's, it's a workhorse facility. It really is. I think, you know, between us and Angel's Envy down the street, you got a couple of really powerhouse distilleries operating in an urban setting. And it's pretty incredible. And we've been fortunate because um, I think the folks around us really appreciate what we're doing. The job creation alone has been significant. You know, we went from uh, basically two, three of us sitting on top of a coffee shop, please and thank you on Market Street. Now we have about 80 folks working at the distillery. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on that expansion a little bit. So when you had first started, I mean, everybody kind of knows, everybody kind of starts off with contract distillation is kind of what you were doing mm-hmm. and kind of get that out the door. And then the distillery comes up in 2018. When you start distilling, start mashing, start aging, have you figured out that you've been able to take care of demand or are you seeing demand just kind of like skyrocket and it's really kind of hard to keep up? And what are you doing at the distillery to try and help meet that demand? Well, you know, that's probably, if I had to pat myself on the back, one of the best decisions I made was to design the distillery to produce the number of barrels that it can, right? So initially, it gave us an opportunity to do some contract distillation for other folks and bring that revenue back and put it in our own brand and be able to allow us to grow. And then the second piece is that as Rabbit Hole is growing, we're scaling back contract distillation and dedicating that liquid for our own products, and nowadays, as you guys know, with logistics and everything else, just and the price of poker has gone up. So you want to build a distillery, time, money, um, that all adds up. Yeah. Labor, materials, everything that goes into it. So you've seen, of course, demand sign of skyrocket as well. I, I think, as kind of mentioned earlier, you're also one of the most modern brands you see when it comes to the label, when it comes to the marketing, when it comes to advertising and stuff like that. Kind of talk about your your focus on how you know, that angle kind of takes it to it as well. 
you know, for me, one of the things that's exciting about bourbon is bringing new new folks to the fold. You know, there's still, if you think about it, sometimes I got to remind myself that we're in a little bit of a bourbon bubble in the sense that I interact with a lot of people that are connoisseurs, big fans, deep knowledge. You know, they geek out about the products, but when you go outside of certain you know, circle, most people still are still in that discovery mode. And I think there's so much room for growth. And Rabbit Hole was in a, in a way was positioned to do that, positioned to not necessarily go at odds with traditional heritage brands, but to complement those and, and draw some new consumers that are, you know, interested in a little bit different story, different aesthetics, and ultimately just all in all a different position in the market. Have you seen that narrative change a little bit as well? I think last time when we talked to you, we we kind of talked about some of the, I don't want to say negative, but some of the more criticism things that had come out. The hangups, like why, why should we go with a new brand, you know, like. Yeah, right I well. mean, it's a lot of things of, of people just, you know, they look at it and they're like, oh, what, another four-year-old whiskey on the market. What do we do this? But the product has changed. The product has grown. You have a lot more age product. You have different kind of collections now that definitely showcase a broader range, a broader array of things that you are able to offer. Has that connotation or has that that thought kind of faded away? Or have you seen that kind of change with the the modern whiskey consumer or most people that have kind of been in this now for a few years? You know, I think for me, generally, consumers are much more forgiving that uh, we give them credit. I think, you know, as long as the product is good, there's not as much hang up, or at least that I see across the board, traveling the country and the reception that we're getting with our products. And I think there's also, as you guys know this better than I do, a lot of great new brands have come to market. Um, a lot of these guys start with sourcing and blending model and and they've put out some incredible products. And I think in a lot of ways have opened up a new vista with regards to consumers. And for me as a whiskey maker, that's what's really exciting because I want more and more people to discover bourbon and what it is and not just um, in the States, but the international market, which is a whole another territory. It's of white space and, and blue sky that I'm excited about. Speaking of blue sky, I mean, you're advertised all over Louisville International Airport. I remember- Like how many pillars do you own? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I walked through there. I was like, man, there's a rabbit hole everywhere around here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think part of the change in marketing and the mission has been how do we go top of the funnel? How do we go wide and really showcase our brand to a wider audience and not just focus on the folks that are connoisseurs of, of American whiskey? And that's where the pillars come in and some of the other marketing efforts. Yeah, somebody told me if you try to appease the whiskey geeks, you'll go bankrupt. And it's like you got to appeal to the mask and, you know, oh more broad. I'd consumer. imagine that's true. They're big with millennials, you know, oh, and yeah. the, the young crowd. And I we think, don't like our dad is bourbon. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I remember when, uh, you know, we did something together and, and that like came out, I was like, I, I think this is the, um, the youngest consumer base for, for any bourbon brand. And I don't know if you've done the data on that, but like, you just, you just see who shows up when there's a rabbit hole event and they're 25 year old out of college, you know, wanting to have a good time, people. Yeah, our core is between 25 to about 40, maybe maybe a little bit more than 40, maybe 25 to 42, 43. And we have about 40, I think, 2% women for Rabbit Hole, which is pretty amazing yeah. for a wow. brand, you know. I'm curious, how do you, how, do you, how do you gather that, that data? 
I'm just kind of curious. Well, that's one of the benefits of being with Pernod now. You get access to <laughs> lots of great data, the databases that are out there that, you know, I didn't have access to when I first started because it costs so much money to be able to get the Nielsen's and all the other. Now, is this where Pernod puts a chip in uh, every bottle of rabbit hole? It <laughs> 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 scans your fingerprint yeah. whenever, whenever you open it. No, that is true. Those large companies, they have it, you know, dialed in. And, you know, they're very prominent on like, digital. And so digital is pretty easy to track as well yeah. as like, if you get partnerships with those large retailers, you get that point of sale material real quickly. Data, data is one of the big money makers in the, in the world of retail. Is going after the younger consumer kind of your angle? I mean, is that, is that the, the way that you look at it and say, this is where we're going to carve our niche. This is how we can edge ourselves a little bit out in the market. I wouldn't say that's my angle. I'll tell you what my angle is. My angle ultimately is to um, develop whiskey, make a brand that is lasting. And that's genuinely, genuinely what my, my desire is. I want, I'm looking down 20, 30 years from now, after a long, I've retired, you guys are able to enjoy rabbit hole whiskey and, and you consider it to be one of the, one of the greatest brands out there. Uh, and that's our legacy. So what, what I'm positioning Rabbit Hole to be is to ultimately have a great product year after year on a consistent basis, more so than anything else. And if it happens to be 25-year-olds that enjoy it, great. If it happens to be 60-year-olds that enjoy it, that's great too. I think you said like 40, 42% mm-hmm. female. Why do you think that is with your all's brand? What What do you think like your approach has like appealed to that, that market? You know, I think part of it is that we've been inclusive and open from the get-go. You know, you guys have seen the artwork at the distillery as an example, you know, the shape and the form of the bottle, you know, everything that goes into it was really in some ways, from my standpoint, designed in a way to be open and inclusive. And I think it draws people in, you know, the bottle aesthetically, it's got a masculine kind of feel to it, but at the same time with the taper and the sash also has certain feminine elements. I think the distillery also, again, there's certain kind of masculine and feminine elements in there that's very implicit, but people respond to it and realize that at the end, our value is about inclusivity and bringing more people to the fold. In in writing Whiskey Women, uh, one of the things that I learned and I've, I've since, like I've continued to study the subject, one of the things I have learned is that if you try to target a group, you will often fail. And like, I don't think you can be, you, you can be over the top with it. Like, so when you see like someone come out with pink, like a, some kind of pink uh, bourbon or something, they're going to fail immensely because women will find that offensive. And I, I, I don't think there's really ever any one thing, but I know that it always comes down to whiskey, no matter what the, the genre is. And having picked the very first rabbit hole single barrel, I tasted so much of of your whiskey that you distilled and that you contract distilled. And I, I just know that your bottle, your marketing could get them to buy one bottle. That's right. You know, it's the whiskey that gets them to buy the second bottle. And your whiskey has like a, you can taste a, like an oily, like an essence in there that is is very appealing to people with palates. And so I think that's what, Whatever, whatever your marketing people are saying, I, I think that's what's getting people to come back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Whiskey. I mean, I think, think about Cave Hill, right? Cave Hill, we um, the recipe—it's a four-grain recipe, but the 
the honey malted wheat there, I think, was in some ways an element to bring and develop a more approachable whiskey, basically. And I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, the bottle and the marketing can only take you so far. It's got to be the liquid that bring you back. Yeah, the liquid's so interesting because you get so much different flavors you're not used to with a Kentucky bourbon. Like Kentucky bourbons, they're I mean, they're great. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes your palate kind of gets like bored over tea, like with caramel, vanilla, you know, oak. It's like, okay, that's that's fine and all. But they're, you know, like with yours, you get the honey notes, the grain notes, the more interesting nuanced things that keep you coming back and like, well, he's got another expression I want to try. I want to do this yeah. and do that. And uh, yeah, it's hats off to you guys for kind of pushing the boundaries of like what's a traditional and, Kentucky bourbon. And that's the evolution of bourbon. And you still see it today. You'll see people who will completely dismiss Rabbit Hole or Smooth Ambler or someone who's, you know, not part of that traditional bourbon scene. They'll completely dismiss it because it's not, quote, flavor profile of Blanton's or right. E.H. Taylor, something like that. And that that genre of consumer is becoming the minority because people are uh, experimenting and finding new flavors that they like because of what distillers like Kabe are doing, introducing new grains, I mean, he's probably got 42 different malts in uh, an experiment right now. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's like, this guy's like, he's probably malting barrels like somehow. <laughs> uh, he loves the malting process. So I think that Rabbit Hole is the story of the evolution of what bourbon consumers want from a taste perspective. Yeah. And it has to be encouraging that your demographic is like 25 to 42. Like, wow, you got them at a young age, you know, they're... They got 40. That's, that's generations. You know, they got four, yeah. you know, 40 is, years of drinking. It is definitely know. generational. And I we talk about, I think the future of bourbon is it's just so exciting because there's so many great distillers doing exactly what Fred is talking about, experimenting with different things. And that, that range of expression is expanding. And that's where we look down the road 20, 10, 20 years from now, and there's going to be some amazing new expressions out there that are not just, you know, the, the old standards that yeah. you guys all know. Yeah, the old recipe of like, we'll do one recipe, age it in 10 different places, and call it 20 <laughs> different brands. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Oh, we're we're itching to get the expression Kville Boxer, high gold, 10, 12-year-old, and see where they are at that point. And, what, think, and one thing that I, I found fascinating about all of your expressions is that there's not a market confusion. Uh, a lot of times when a new brand comes out with expressions, people will mix them up. There's absolute separation between them. I, I found that fascinating. I've never seen that before. Well, you know, the thinking for me was, how did the beer guys, how did the wine guys do it, right? I think that's been a challenge, and I think it's getting slowly better. But from distributors to retailers, the question that they ask, well, what's the difference between this one and that one? And what we talk about is, listen, you got to look at this in a way similar to wine, where... I imagine a day where people are going to come in and ask and know the difference between a four grain, high rye, mm -hmm. weeded, and all the different nuances, even including wood finishes. You know, we're seeing a whole range of wood finishes as well. So, you know, be it recipe-based or finished-based blending finishing, consumers are going to get more educated. And ultimately, the challenges with our business is how do you differentiate it in terms of a name? If, you know, we don't have cab Pinot to clearly separated. We need to rely on secondary names or the recipes or the finishes to help people cue it up. But 
you know, that's where I think the direction of American whiskey is going. And not to even mention American single malt, because that's a whole nother category that I think is exciting and emerging. Well, I think another question that Fred kind of brought up was your obsession with malt, because I, if you have a lot of things going on, I kind of want to dive in just to what's your fascination with, because what Cave Hill uses both a malted barley and a malted wheat, correct? Mm-hmm. So kind of talk about why you wanted to go with more of a, a malted approach one on some of these grains. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I think another question that Fred kind of brought up was your obsession with malt, because if you have a lot of things going on, I kind of want to dive in just to What's your fascination with? Because what Cave Hill uses both a malted barley and a malted wheat, correct? Mm -hmm. So kind of talk about why you wanted to go with more of a a malted approach on on some of these grains. Well, listen, one of the reasons that I got excited 10 years ago, 12 years ago, was that within the parameters of what constitutes bourbon, so you got 51% corn, you know, new oak barrels and so on and so forth. Can it be malted corn? Uh, I've actually, I've actually seen malted corn before. Uh, MB Roland, uh, had like a little experiment where, where it was malt. It was, it was wicked. (laughs) It was, it was weird. Just had to It was like, it was like growing like little legs. It was was weird. (laughs) But you got 51% corn, 49% magic. That's the way I see it because you got so much room for experimentation. And to me, you know, malted grains, it's like having different, you got a whole spice rack. You got all these different ingredients to play with, different flavors to the bring. So there's the culinary reference for me that's really exciting. And I think that's one of the ways bourbon is different from scotch or Irish whiskey, where we got a lot of room for creativity. And that's what's exciting. You need to make a t-shirt that says 51% corn. 49% magic. It's in the works. <laughs> yeah. It's in the works. <laughs> so one of his, one of the malts that he's like really becoming famous for is the chocolate malt. Yeah. Where did, where was your, uh, what, what was your, take us through the discovery process of chocolate malt? Because I, I first tasted that in Irish whiskey and saw it used in, uh, in Europe quite a bit. 
but no one really played with it in the United States. So where where where's the, where'd that love come from? Well, you know, it it wasn't specific to chocolate per se, but in any given month, we're tasting probably about a dozen or more different malted grain samples from different maltsters. And it just happened that this goes back to those early years because I laid the, those barrels down during contract distillation. And um, and I was actually talking about this, that part of the inspiration came in from uh, Derek Bell, uh, reading his book oh, yeah. um, and looking at those great recipes. I think Derek was probably one of the first guys, at least from my reference, that really started using different types of grain configurations. And for me, that was the beginning of that light bulb moment. And it drew me to take a look at different malting facilities and what are they doing to be able to bring different flavors to the forefront. And it just happens that, you know, we were playing around with uh, sweeter notes and how can we bring some dark chocolate notes and that's the direction it went. Forgive my ignorance. Who's Derek? Uh, he's the owner, uh, distiller of Corsair. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And he Trip's was, look. he was early on, like he, he was the, like a God in the, in the craft space and he came out with triple smoke, hit a home run. But he kept doing all these experiments, and and I was always like, you have the home run, focus on that, and then taper off with some experience from there here to here. But he's, they also own an enormous construction business in Nashville, which, you know, Nashville's always under construction. So, <laughs> That's a uh, recurring I, revenue. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, you know, he's split a little bit, but they still have their operation in uh, in Tennessee. Very cool. So with with experimentation and malting and this and that, like, can you tell? from the malting process, like now, like this is something I think will work good in a distillate or do you have to go through the whole process of making a batch, doing it, you know, distilling it, tasting the final product to be like, okay, now this is something we can move forward with. There's always a level of experimentation and not knowing exactly how it's going to la um, land. But I talk to the maltsters, but what it really comes down to is the taste of the actual grain. So okay. I get samples on a regular basis, literally like, you're uh, eating a cereal. You basically taste it. And uh, we have a panel. We sit around and chat about it and about, you know, what configuration would be best. And uh, then we put it to test. That's basically it. And we usually start with one batch. And for us, one batch ends up being about 25 barrels, 24, 25 barrels. It's a significant investment, but at the same time, you know, so far everything's been pretty good. And it just really starts with trying to get a sense directionally what the ingredients are going to come together and what kind of flavor they're going to have and let that guide us. With all the different, you know, offerings and recipes and this and that, blending has to be like on your, you know, Huge. radar. And I think that's yeah. what's going to be like the future of American whiskey too, is like what Scotch has kind of hung their hat on is blending. How are you guys going to be approaching that moving forward? Yeah, well, I think that might be a good segue to our 10-year anniversary uh, blend. Wait, because, let's talk about it. Yes, <laughs> which is, it's fantastic. I've been sipping on it here late. It might be my favorite. I know we've got a 16-year-old here, but this 10-year-old's really good. Yeah, so, you know, we, um, I set up Rabbit Hole about 10 years ago, and we started talking about doing something special for, for this year, celebrating it. And um, what we decided to do is to see if we can look at our existing stock and come up with... Um, uh, with a blend and, and a finishing touch that uh, would make it special. So this is actually a blend of high gold and cave hill that we uh, aged um, in for a secondary double char, if you would, in new toasted and charred barrels. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So this is really our first foray in that kind of a blending world. 
I mean, obviously we're blending on a day-to-day basis, sure. putting the barrels together, but uh, a unique product that's just uh, based on a blend of other um, recipes. This is our first one. Well, congratulations on a decade, first off. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, cheers, cheers to that. To that. I think that's absolutely big milestone to be able to hit there. And one of the things that, is this going to be part of a, a founder's collection? Is this going to be just kind of your own separate release? I kind of want to dive into yeah, so founder's this is, this is um This is going to come in a really nice, special, if you would, crystal package this year for us. And it's only going to be a thousand bottles. But I am so excited about the liquid that's probably going to become more of a regular thing, I hope. Uh, maybe not in uh, such a fancy package, but maybe uh, under the founder's collection, yeah. It's got those nice, like, honey, just toasted marshmallow, just really decadent, sweet. It's very good. What what was it about those two products you thought this would be, you know, a great blend together? Well, you know, I started fooling around with it, tinkering at home. I mean, I, it's not an unusual thing for <laughs> me to just, Tuesday. you know, yep. do a little uh, blend of high gold and Kville or with boxer grill and just goof around like we've all done it. And uh, that was the beginning of it. And then we're thinking, okay, like, how do we, how do we even make it a little bit more special? So played out with, uh, with a new barrel. And uh, this is, uh, to me, it's just caramel bomb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a Werther's. It's like caramel and vanilla. Yeah. It's definitely, we're definitely good. Go ahead, Fred. I was going to say, I I uh, just I went straight to the 16-year. Uh, Fred, Fred just joke. went straight for age. Yeah. He's, he's I, a label, I love label French, chaser. I love French uh, French oak, but uh, is the is the 16-year-old something that's coming out this year too? Yeah, so that one actually is coming out uh, this spring. So okay. um, hope it was supposed to come out in May, but we got some bottle issues. So <laughs> right, everyone's got that. I think it's going to come Hop in line, to get a ticket, yeah. hop in line. Yeah, I think it's going to come out sometime in June. About that. Um, <laughs> it's part of our founder's collection, and we yeah. uh, call it Nevalier, which is based on the two, it's kind of a play on the two uh, forests that the wood was procured from, and it's a combination of, that's another blend, basically, over the years, I'd collected some barrels that we, we ended up not using. It's sourced liquid that I'd bought over the course of the last several years, we blend it. It's a combination of various um, high rye barrels from different distilleries. And then we aged it um, in the French oak for a little bit over a year. Is oh, it, wow. is it uh, different states or is it all Kentucky? All Kentucky. Yeah. yeah it's all Kentucky. It's an interesting project right there. I know. But when you come to your lab, it's, <laughs> it's unique. It's very unique. Yeah. But the other project I want to talk about is kind of your collection, right? The founder's collection. What was the impetus and kind of like starting that one? And kind of growing that is it is it because you've got all these great barrels or experiments like what what's the idea of the founders collection and what does it really mean to you? So founders is definitely an area where it's a combination of new recipes like the five grain race king that we did. Yeah, because this was when, this was not around when we first interviewed. That's you. right. Yeah. That's right. And then um, also it's the cask strength expression. So all the founders always is going to be cask strength. It's a higher proof, obviously. So it's a combination of either new recipes that we have not introduced at all or um, older expressions of what we have. And either at this point, obviously it's sourced, but the the vision for founders is that Cave Hill at 10, High Gold at 10, 12 will be part of the founders collection. Yeah. would make sense. I mean, I think that you've also done some good experimentation with it. You had some Mizanara finishes, you had some other things in there. Kind of talk about the idea. Is it just going to be an H statement or is it going to be, let's go ahead and experiment with these more. Let, let's figure out like, what's the next boundary? What can we push this with? 
Yeah, so the there's another series called distillery series. So really, where you where you break it down, Rabbit Hole is going to have our we're going to have our core products, founders, and the distillery series. Founders is that combination of older products, new recipes. The distillery series um, we started with the Starlino release just recently. Those are primarily basically liquid that we finished in different barrels. So smaller, only released at the distillery and some retail shops here in, in uh, Kentucky. So we tease it out a little bit where the wood finishes go under the distillery series and the recipe-based stuff and the older expressions generally or the real funky blends, if you would, would go under um, Founders Collection. I got a question though. How did you get hooked up with Starlino? Only because... I feel like it is one of the best vermouths I've ever had. And I'm not just we're, saying... We're a huge Starlino fan. I was like, I'm not getting paid to say that either. I mean, it's they're a really, really good vermouth. I mean, the ride with the Starlino is fantastic, too. I know. I don't even Thanks. need to add Starlino. I feel like I'm in a Manhattan right now. <laughs> I know. No, Perfect. I know. Just, just exactly. Just add a little cherry to it and put it on ice and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, but I met Mark Teasdale and uh, Elwin Gladstone, who are founders of actually Starlino, but before that, um, Malfi Gin and a bunch of other brands when we merged with uh, Pernod about two and a half years ago. I uh, was in France, met Mark and Elwin there. We hit it off, forged a friendship, and we've talked about collaboration. And um, And this is really the first collaboration that we've engaged in and really proud of it. Gotcha. I mean, it, school me on a little bit. I thought it was just like a hotel in Italy is kind of what Starlino is, right? Yeah, it is. Although, you know, what they did is that they uh, partnered with a distillery in Italy that produces the vermouth. So they basically, you know, came up with the idea. Starlino is the the branding reference, if you would. And, you know, Mark and Elwin kind of were the, I guess, the visionaries behind it. And, and here's what it is. Yeah. Aged in bourbon barrels. I think anybody can get behind that one, right? Yeah. And then they, coming back and then putting rye in their barrels, right? So it's perfect harmony. It's the circle yes, of life. They, they have, I think, <laughs> it's like three different vermouth, and one of them is uh, the one that's the Starlino Rosso is the one that's finished in uh, bourbon barrels. Yeah. Mm. No, it's good. It's, it's great. Good. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic product. So as you've been growing this category, and you've been kind of growing your brand and kind of seeing where it's going, you know, I think even last time we were on the show, we asked you like, what's, what's the next few years ahead of you? What's going to happen? Where do you kind of see everything going on now that you're part of the Pernod family? You have a a great location that people can come and visit. I see that the tides are shifting. People that might have written you off a few years ago because there was just a source, a young product. Now that you have older distillate that's now going to the bottle, things are starting to change. Like, where do you kind of see the horizon for you? Like, what's what's the what's the next phase for for Cave and Rabbit Hole here? We want to get a stronger foothold in the U.S. market. We want more people to discover Rabbit Hole. I think that's, you know, top of mind for me. We just opened up the international market. So we're in UK now, Canada. We just made our first shipment to South Korea. So Asia, Europe are opening up. That's basically my, my you know, next chapter, if you would. How do we spread the gospel of Rabbit Hole? And why <laughs> do we take fold? over the globe? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do you find some barriers to entry to to explain to people because you know in Kentucky especially Louisville I mean you're becoming a household brand and the geek world knows about you but do do you find that there's challenges there you know getting the message across Yeah I do I think you know right now there's so many brands out there and you guys again know this better than I do so many new brands emerging I think it's a little bit of a cluster for 
consumers because it's overwhelming. There's just way too many bottles on the shelf. And how do you separate and tease out? So, you know, for us, the challenge is to get out there and talk about it, make sure there's lips to liquid and engage the consumer. That's what really the challenge is. And again, this this is where a partnership like Pernod really helps out because it allows us to be able to go out there and have a wider reach and, and a broader engagement. But it is a challenge, no question about it. Second t-shirt idea, by the way. <laughs> Lips to liquid. Lips to, I, I like that. <laughs> Lips to liquid. Oh, oh, man, that's been an industry phrase for, <laughs> for a while. Has it really? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, you know. We're Gosh, all, I, I, I we're remember. Just, we're, just, we're just a little peons in this thing. We're still learning. <laughs> well, it, it, it goes back to the events, you know, like uh, the Whiskey Fest and Whiskeys of the World and stuff. And that someone at some point said, this is how you get, you know, Lips to liquid to consumers. And that was, I, I don't remember who phrased that, but it's been, it's been around forever. <laughs> What is as a brand? So like, what's better going out into stores or going to hitting up bartenders? Like how, what, what's the best way to allocate your resources or what is Pernod? I'm trying to steal Pernod's secrets for. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's a, it, listen, it, it's a great question. And if you would have talked to me 10, 11 years ago, if, if I knew what I know now, uh, I probably would have had second thoughts about jumping in the game because the cost of going to market is enormous. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. There's two things that I would say to kind of folks that are getting started. One is the challenge of scaling your business. So it's one thing to sell maybe a handful of barrels or a handful of cases. It's another thing to scale it up, um, both having the quality of the liquid and the reach to do it. That's a challenge. I think the other piece is the marketing element that you're talking about. On-premise restaurant and bar promotion, getting bartenders and chefs and all those guys, that's a lot of work and very, very costly. You know, for us, actually, for better or worse, part of what gave us a little bit of an advantage and and it actually helped us during the pandemic was the fact that we had a pretty nice presence in off-premise in liquor stores, both independent and, and bigger chains that allowed us to, in some ways, go wider and get a greater recognition. And even though we started working with bartending community folks to be able to get that going, that was a slower slog for us because it just, again, it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of money. And then the pandemic hit and uh, that was yeah. that. And so now we're trying to get back into it. And and also, look, I mean, we're talking, this has been all about business, but Kaveh is also like a dusty hunter. He's a big collector of- uh, Well, tell uh, me more. Let's hear more. Uh, of dusty. So uh, yeah, let's jump into that for a second. Sure. Let's, let's talk about how's the- uh, How's the Dusty collection looking and what's been your favorite, <laughs> uh, your favorite find lately? Listen, um, after what I saw with the Sotheby's auction the other day, oh, like, yeah. I was like, I don't know, man, this is getting to be an expensive hobby. <laughs> uh, but, you know, those prices are outrageous. I Maybe time to sell. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I'll say uh, uh, Michter's overtook Pappy in that one. The Four Roses bottles didn't do as well as I thought they would. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the Linnell bottles, 45K a yep. piece. I yep. mean, I yep. kind With of- the Red Hook? Yeah. yeah I kind of figured those would do well, but <laughs> still, insane. that's still a lot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, it's back amazing. to Dusty's. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I think honestly, related to that, I haven't actually been buying a whole lot because the prices are through the roof. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It's just a challenge. So, you know, what I'm interested in is if I can find some uh, pre-prohibition bottles, mm-hmm. that's really what's exciting to me. And that's becoming harder and harder to find. So, um, 
my price position right now, it's like I got a lot of old fits from the 50s that I love. I got a couple of cases of those that's been amazing, and I pull one of them out on occasion, actually, when friends come over. Um, but I haven't really bought anything lately. Is there is there any dusty bottles you're like, we got to recreate this or try to like recreate mm, this? That's a good question. There is, and that's uh, that's part of my... That's uh, Founders Collection 2021. <laughs> yeah. Whatever 20, year we're in. Maybe 2030? 2030, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the malting secrets. <laughs> yeah. That's an announcement to come. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Fair, fair enough. I love that. Yeah. But I guess what, what got you into the, the dusty side? I mean, I think that the, the bourbon bug bites us and you get into it and you have a friend that might introduce you to a dusty, but talk about your dusty journey. Like what got you into doing that? Well, that's the connection for with psychology. You know, for me, you got to know your history, right? And that's what it is. You're basically his, tasting history in a bottle. And gives you a nice reference what people were doing whenever it was pre-prohibition or post-prohibition. And that was really the, the initial kind of excitement about it. And other, you know, other than that, I'm a little OCD. And uh, <laughs> you know, you, when you're married 18 years, you got to have some kind of a perversion. And that's my perversion. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll add to like, this is, that was one of the, and getting to know you, Kabe, that was one of the things that, that made me really like you because it was it was not a... It's not a money grab, right? Not, yeah, it's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. It's not, not a money grab. You were like, you know, passionate about the hobby and you leveraged everything to, to start the brand and, and brought in people you probably wouldn't normally talk to to become investors and, and, and you, you built something, but you also still are drinking whiskey at home that's not yours and, and collecting it and, and all that. So that, that always, to me, that always made you kind of a, a little bit one of us. Uh, as as a bourbon geek, as a as a passionate person about about the uh, category. Well, I really, Fred, really, really appreciate that. I'm actually seriously, I'm getting a little tingles here because you know, right now, um, as as you know, I'm an immigrant, and I think coming from the outside is is a little bit. It's not just outside of the whiskey category, but but also coming here to my new adopted home and to be able to part of, be part of bourbon and contribute to what I think is actually more American than uh, baseball or apple pie mm-hmm. is a dream come true. And I think that's what ultimately for me is important. It's the legacy of li- leaving something. Obviously, making money is important. We all need to make money, but that far outweighs the business side of it. And it's, uh, you know, I got to pinch myself to be, you know, wake up every morning feeling blessed and yeah. feeling great that I'm a part of it. Yeah, you're one of the people that will stay you know, be stamped in history forever. It's like we were at the Fraser Museum a couple of weeks ago and they have a video of playing of just everybody who's made bourbon is what today. And it's like, I know you'll be on there too, you know, when it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, whenever we look back on history and you're going to be one of those brands that you've stamped your part and you should be super proud of that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. And I think that's probably a great way to end it. I mean, that's that definitely hitching the feels a little bit right there. I think it's a great way to just kind of summarize everything. And thank you for joining us on the show to be able to share just a little bit more about, you know, your your insights, your history, your business acumen, just everything that kind of goes into making this brand what it is today. And I think that it it does start to show through. I mean, gosh, this this 10 year or should I say 10 year anniversary is amazing. Right. I love yeah. the blend. The 16 year is great. I love the Starlino. I mean, it's just home run after home run after home run right here. Thank you guys. It's just such a pleasure to be here with you. It's, thank you for having me. 
All right. Well, next next time we'll, we won't wait three years to have you on again. That would be great. <laughs> Let's do it more often. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> uh, but with that, make sure uh, if you, people want to follow you, I know you're big on social media too. So how do they get in touch with uh, with Kava here? Yeah, I'm on social media. KZ Rabbit Hole is my uh, my handle, and then of course Rabbit Hole website and rabbit hole social media uh as well all right well dr z thank you so much for coming on the show Thanks, today look gonna, at that we're gonna, the dr z <laughs> we're gonna right. we're gonna try to make it happen maybe just be an inside circle thing whatever it is go. but <laughs> but make Tom, sure he's like yeah <laughs> real inside <laughs> just this table yeah <laughs> but make sure you follow cave make sure you follow rabbit hole make sure you follow bourbon pursuit wherever you get your socials but with that cheers everybody we'll see you next week cheers cheers, cheers.